Hello and welcome back to The Other America. We're back after a short break to bring you more Latin American news to the shores of the UK. I'm Ollie Hammett. And I'm Rose Lander. Welcome to the podcast. Okay, Rose, um, what have we got for our listeners this week? Well, this week we are travelling virtually to Argentina, where I spent a bit of time in 2013 and again in 2015. Uh, it's actually the first country I ever went to in Latin America, um, and it's an amazing country, but there is a lot of poverty and inequality, um, mm. which will come up in the discussion that we had with our guest. I see. Well, I, I for one, have never been to Argentina, but the impression that I had of, of it, having spent time in other Latin American countries, is that it's maybe more European, more sophisticated it definitely has that reputation. Mm. Yeah, it does have that reputation, which is interesting because I think there are a lot of people that would dispute that. I was watching a, a Netflix show called Street Food Latin America, which I definitely re- recommend. But the um, episode about Argentina was quite a lot of the people featured in it were, you know, descendants of Europeans um, and they weren't really focusing on any any of the indigenous populations. And they were all talking a lot with with a lot of pride about how it's how it's very European, how it's very cosmopolitan, and sort of they do have maybe other people from other Latin American countries think that those Argentinians feel a little bit superior. Uh, so it's yeah. worth it's worth just like checking that and saying that that isn't necessarily the reality. Um, and which which we will talk about, there is a lot of really difficult realities for a lot of people in Argentina. Um, So just to give you a little bit of an economic background on that, neither of us are economists. No, (laughs) we've done our best. (laughs) Bear with us. But um, Argentina has the largest debt in Latin America. It's suffered 16 economic recessions since World War II. And there is a lot of poverty. So the UN predicts that after the effects of, of the lockdown this year, by the end of this year, six out of 10 children in Argentina will be living below the poverty line. Yeah. Six out of 10. Six out of 10 is, is an incredible statistic. Um, and another economic statistic that really puts it into perspective for me is what's happened since its last economic crisis in 2018, after which it received the biggest IMF bailout in history. And since then, last week, uh, the economist Steve Hanker told BBC Mundo that, in his opinion, Argentina needs to give up its peso, retire it to a museum, and adopt the US dollar, much like Venezuela did a few years ago. So that's uh, the economic, the level of economic instability that we see in Argentina nowadays. Yeah, and because of because of that really bad inflation, the peso often is worth very, very little. And the, but the government um, discourages, puts in place measures that try to stop people from using dollars. So that means there's now a black, or there has been for years, a black market for dollars. And when I first arrived in 2013 uh, to Capital Federal, to Buenos Aires, um, with my friends, uh, we were 18, our first voyage away. And with, with on the second day or something, my friends went into this dodgy little shop in the centre of, of the city to take their dollars that they'd, you know, got out from Marks and Spencers back in the UK <laughs> and to trade their dollars for a, a very large amount of pesos because they were going to get more for their money that way. But I have always been 
very very terrified of doing anything wrong or illegal and getting into trouble so I didn't go oh well good on you Rose I mean you may have <laughs> you may have staved off the economic crisis in Argentina for a few years <laughs> I mean it was not about that it was just that I'm scared of authority <laughs> ah well back on to Argentina um it's also struggled very it struggled very deeply with coronavirus as well since that's hit the world uh so it, argentina currently has the eighth highest number of covid cases in the world it has a smaller population than the uk um it has the world's highest positive test rate at six people out of ten but that is because according to reuters there are so few tests actually being carried out so despite those pretty tricky statistics in terms of COVID, our guest was actually very optimistic about the attitude of the citizens. So we'll hear her opinion on that later. Mm. She is Cynthia Oliveira, or Sin for short, and she's an English language coach from a city called Belén de Escobar, uh, which is in the province of Buenos Aires in Argentina. Oh, okay. And we spoke to her about the connection she has to a local children's charity called La Casita, and how difficult it is to get long-term support from the government in such an unstable economy. So, uh, Cynthia, thank you very much for joining us on The Other America. It's a particular pleasure for me, as we are very good friends, and it's a long time since I've seen you, so it's nice to talk. Yes, it's lovely to be here with you guys. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you, Cynthia. Um, it's a particular pleasure for me as well because I've never been to Argentina and I can't wait to find out about all of the things that um, La Casita get up to. So you and I met through a social enterprise in the province of Buenos Aires, where you live, in a city called Belén de Escobar. And it's a children's daycare centre called La Casita, or, well, that's its nickname. So I wanted to talk to you about that daycare centre. So your best friend, Rodrigo Cuevas, is the son of the family that set up the organisation and runs it. So you're very close to to the community. So could you tell us a little bit about La Casita? What is it? Yes, yes. You know, I've um, I've uh, lived most of, of the beginning parts of La Casita with Rod because we're very, as you mentioned, we're very, very close friends. So I can tell you that everything started um, with the, the activity of Sylvia. So Sylvia is Rod's mom and she's a teacher. So she detected some cases at school that of children that needed help, uh, you know, that kind of help that sometimes it's only a hug or or just listening to the children because they may have some problems at home or social problems apart from the the social level, right, they live in. So she started helping out these kids and she did a great job. But in the beginning, it was very, very informal. So these kids would go to her house and she would feed them and just be with them, you know what I mean. And then I think it was in 2005 that um, they, she started running La Casita, as we all know it now, but uh, in a very simple way. So she, she got some help from, from other people, little help from government, really, <laughs> to tell the truth, especially in the beginning. Um, 
as you may know over here, sometimes uh, politicians are a little bit um, difficult to find um, for these purposes, and it takes a long time to get um, help from the government, direct help. So she started running La Casita, I think, in the beginning on her own, but all the family was always involved. And they were very, very, and they are very, very committed to this work, this social work, which is amazing. And now we are like, what, 15 years from, <laughs> from that uh, year, from that point, from the beginning. And uh, the development of this project is just great. A lot of people is involved. Uh, Rod, my friend, he thought that it was a great idea to to try to uh, show La Casita to the world. So he encouraged people from all over the world. And one of those of these person is you, Rose. Uh, so he encouraged these people to come over and to visit us and to live with us for a few months or for a few days and to experience everything that he and his family are going through every, every, every single day, uh, trying to help out these families because it's, um, you know, it's a global social issue. It's not only about feeding the child and helping out the child with the school homework. It's also about encouraging them to be good, uh, good people and um, encourage their family to be, in some cases, um, more careful and uh, to think about their children uh, in a healthier way and with more responsibility. So... Uh, it's very tough sometimes, it's very difficult, because as I said before, it's not always easy from here. Uh, so it's not that the government is always helping them out. So sometimes they receive things from government, and then if we have a bad year, for example this year, which is a very, very difficult year, then the government is uh, not... Uh, they're just helping them as they should. Could you um, tell us a bit about um, the lives of the families that La Casita supports? Because they, they live in a particular place which um, is referred to as La Vicha. And I just wondered if you could tell us a bit about what life is like in La Vicha. The social levels differences in all Argentina um, might be a bit impressive, really, because um, lifestyles change a lot from uh, one place to another. So maybe you're living very well here with uh, all the things that you need and in a very comfortable way. And then you walk only, I don't know, half of a mile and then you have a very different situation there. And that place is normally called La Vicha, and uh, it refers to a neighborhood uh, where people don't have all the comforts uh, or the basic things they may need for living, for living uh, in a healthy way, and uh, just, you know, simple things like mineral water, like a, like a good house, a good building, 
so they may have a house built with pieces of wood they find in the street and uh, the ceiling might be built with I don't know what. Uh, sometimes it can be actually a piece of wood or, or um, whatever they find. So they, they make kind of a, of a square, you know, uh, very, very small and they just live in there and the floor is just the ground. So sometimes they have no toilets or any, anything that uh, make, can make it uh, a healthy living or just what we know as home. And um, it's very difficult because even though they receive some help uh, from charities like La Casita or sometimes the government, uh, it's not. It's never a long-term help. So usually, um, I'm talking now about the government. They they don't create a long-term help. So people maybe they receive I don't know a bed or a mattress. Uh, that's it. And they have the house that maybe if it rains, uh, all the water goes inside. But they have a new bed. So it's kind of crazy. I remember once I went into a house and um, it was all made of wood and it was very wet because of rain and um, they had a heater on <laughs> inside uh, with all the wires everywhere. You would be crazy just by looking at it. And it was so dangerous and there were like seven people living in there with babies and children. So that reality that uh, is quite often to find it Around here is very very cruel but the real thing is that people living there in these places are used to it and it's not uh, maybe just one family living there it's maybe it can be generation generation sorry after generation uh, living in these places so it became a social issue but because you know that you should help them but you don't want to. Um, you don't want them to feel you are. Um, is it okay if I say invading them? You know. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, kind of pitting them almost. Or... Yes. So you have to be very careful with every movement you you make in that mm. direction, uh, because they're used to living like it. And sometimes you meet people that they know it's not correct. But sometimes you meet, meet people that they think it's just the way it should be. And uh, some people um, want to make a progress in life. And so they want to study or they want their children to study and to be good people. And, you know, to go to school and then to university and whatever. And we, I've seen some cases in La Casita like it, you know, children studying English and then uh, going to university and things like that which is very very good and uh, it makes us feel very very happy about it and then you meet other people that uh, they're just fine the way they're living and they don't see why they have to change it so it's very complex and we have to be very very careful when it is about helping out people from from these places it's really interesting you say like um, some people think that that's the way that it should be and that it's difficult for them to see outside of it. How ingrained is the idea of 
class and a social standing in Argentina. Right. So you, you mean the different social classes? Yeah. How big is the sort of gap between rich and poor? All oh, right. Um, well, actually, it's really big. Um, it, yes, it's quite big because um, the real thing is that medium class is becoming uh, smaller and smaller. And so the differences between poor people and then wealthy people um, are very remarkably is a very, very important gap here. Because as I mentioned before, you are living comfortably at home with your heater on and with your TV and watching Netflix. And you know, well, actually it happens here in my neighbor. I have all the comforts I need, but I know that uh, 10 blocks from here, uh, there's another villa um, called uh, San Miguel, uh, which is pretty big. And the reality is just the opposite. And we're very close, we're neighbors. Are there any people or groups um, putting pressure on the government to make long-term plans to try to decrease the inequality? Yes, but it's not only about making the decision, you know, to help people out. It's that uh, maybe the economic structure of the country cannot support long-term projects or long-term donations or whatever. So uh, even even if they wanted, the system would collapse because um, it's not prepared for that. And um, and in, in we have, so, you know, Argentina is a, <laughs> is a whole challenge to live here because it keeps changing all of the time. So one year you have a, a situation, so you you organize your life around it. And then the following year, it's absolutely different. So one year we are we are improving as a country and we are doing well. And then the following year, it collapsed for for some reason. And so it, our scenarios keep changing all of the time. We are used to it. We know that um, I don't know. Just to give an example, a little of milk today may cost 50 pesos and maybe in December it costs 100 pesos and we will be okay with that because we're used to it. It's our reality. And with these differences, I mean, these differences impact 100% to not only the government decision, but also the private uh, company's decision as well, because La Casita, for example, sometimes it receives help from different companies or, uh, you know, just private resources. But it's very, very difficult to create a long-term commitment. For example, La Casita, it's a project which is really committed to helping out people, uh, but they cannot trust government itself because uh, sometimes they help and sometimes they just they don't so sometimes they presumably can't afford to Mm -hmm. uh and other times are you saying that there may be other reasons that they maybe don't want to or yes uh, i i i can't i can't think of somebody saying i don't want to help the charities or or whatever i i used to work for the for what we called here Ministerio de Desarrollo, uh, which is the Social Development Ministry. So I used to work there. And the real thing is that uh, 
sometimes you don't have any resources you can give to the people. So, for example, two years ago, I was working in the ministry and uh, everything I had to offer to the people that would come to my office and ask for help, it was just, um, you know, workshops or courses or lovely flyers to show them. But I didn't have anything from nation that I could give them, I could provide them with, uh, not even a bag of food or anything. So on this topic that related to the pandemic, is La Casita having to pull out all the extra effort to help the families themselves without any external help from the government how how is it working with coronavirus and la casita how are they able to continue supporting the families well rod is becoming the hero around here (laughs) yes he's doing a great job you know uh, when everything started in march uh, he took it very seriously he started contacting one by one not in, in all escobar but he started writing to different people and so he organized a different group of people, just, you know, normal people, right? Just normal uh, citizens from, from Escobar. And um, they would, he, he would coordinate these groups in order to provide food, clothes, and all the basic things that these family need for just to survive, to live. And every week, so today, that's the reason she cannot be here, because in this moment, he's at La Vista, near La Casita, uh, giving the, the food and the clothes to the families. So what were the restrictions in Argentina, or what are the restrictions? So are you all still on complete lockdown? Is that why no one's able to go to La Casita in person? Yes, not complete lockdown. It's been uh better it got better the um, like last month it started to open a little bit but we were i think 150 days locked down completely locked down and um it was very bad it is very bad actually the the actual scenario for for all these issues because people couldn't work and here in in well not only in escobar in, in argentina we have a lot of informal work so so you're not employed you know, formally mm. employed. So yourself, yourself employed. Yes. Um, yes and no. We call this trabajo mm. en negro. So it mm. means that you are just paid an hourly rate, but without taxes, without anything, and uh, without your. Um, uh, how do you call it when you become old? Oh, it's like kind of like cash in hand. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Very very okay. informal. So we have a lot of this, a lot. Like I think that most of the workers in Argentina are informal workers. And with all this pandemic, they couldn't work because they couldn't go to the houses to do any maintenance or they just couldn't go and cut the grass or do the gardening or whatever, or just selling in the street. So it was. it is very, very difficult. So last month, some places started to open. Classes are not back, so the schools are closed. 
all these institutions, charities or, or clubs are closed. And what else? And then shops can open, but it depends on what industry. So if you have a, if you sell food, for example, then you can open. But if you sell clothes, then you have you have uh, your restrictions. So it's not possible for Lacazita to be open right now. Plus, it would be very dangerous. Anyway, to tell the truth, I'm very proud of my country right now because we've been very, very responsible with all this thing and uh, everybody, everybody I mean it doesn't matter where you live we are all being very very responsible it's it's true that we're having a lot of people with with this virus um, but the real thing is that we are being very careful about it in general I think that um, here in Argentina it uh, we we are very creative here because we always have to deal with many different situations every year. So if it is elections, because we have elections, and if it is, I don't know, the dollar is collapsing, so the dollar is collapsing. So we are used to be very, very creative to survive. We, we didn't give up. It's nice to hear a bit of positivity. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. About time. <laughs> talk to you a little bit about um about English because obviously you we, we were talking about La Casita and the fact that Rodrigo invited people like me or you know he opened up La Casita to foreigners to come and volunteer that was to show um show La Casita to the world but also um in part to introduce um, the kids to the world as well and so yes, they could, and they could still... get familiar with foreign languages yes and I still remember the faces of the children with the first foreigners coming over <laughs> <laughs> because they were like I remember them as if it was yesterday they they oh. would look at you and they would look at us and it was like uh, wow they were like heroes <laughs> talking in a different <laughs> language and that was really good yes and you know it's always very positive for everybody it's always very positive to stay in contact with people from other cultures and from other parts of the world because it helps it helps uh, us i don't know to be open mind uh, it doesn't matter where you're from and what you do mm. it's always positive or i think that least mm. so when people from other countries starting visiting like a sita uh, some of the kids uh, were very keen on understanding them so they wanted to learn English because of that so that was very very positive and they realized that the world was much bigger than Escobar mm -hmm. like a sita could get uh, I, would, I will say free pass because I don't know the specific word, but uh, free pass uh, to to help them studying English at an institute. So there was an institute in Escobar. Oh, that's the place where I studied, actually. And um, yeah, they would receive some of these kids uh, annually. So I think it was five or ten kids. I don't remember right now. Uh, and they were there studying English. Obviously, Rose and I have lived in Latin America and you're obviously from Latin America. But for our listeners, Cynthia, 
Do you think you could just sort of maybe summarize how important it is to know how to speak English in Latin America for sort of mobility and career reasons? Yes, yes. Well, so as I usually say to my students, um, humanity has chosen English as the universal language. So even if you go to, I don't know, Japan or wherever, uh, to Germany, you know, they speak German, but if you know English, you can survive. And that's the key <laughs> for us. In the country, in Argentina, it's very important because all most of the industries are, or some of the companies, big companies here, are from America. When you are working, for example, in communications or in IT or in marketing, you know, and you have to report to America, then that should be in English. And sometimes I I used to work for an American company, and uh, sometimes you have a video conference and it has to be in English. So it's a great tool here in Argentina. I don't know if I I imagine in all South America, but in Argentina. Um, we are taught English since we are five years old uh, at school. And then if our parents can afford it, we are sent to a private institute of English where we go twice or three times a week for about two hours uh, to learn and to practice our English. I was going to say that's, that's a big commitment, isn't it? That's, that is a lot of hours a week learning English. Uh, yes, but when you're a kid... It's all the same, you know. I mean, I, I've yeah. never realized how much time I was putting into my English when I was younger. You just go to school and then you go to English. Yeah. yeah. Is there any resentment towards that that fact that just learn, learning English does give you an extra boost in life? Do people, do, are there any people that think, oh, you know, this is ridiculous. We shouldn't have to know English like this. Uh, not in that way, but... The, there are people that actually hate English because they, for some reason, they feel frustrated about it. Maybe they had a bad experience. It's easier when you're a child for, for anything you want to learn because we are more elastics. Our brain is more, it's like a sponge. So it's much easier to incorporate a new language, English or any other language, when you're a child. Now, sometimes... If your parents can't afford that, or if maybe you have English at school, but it's not a good level. And then when you're becoming a teenager and you're trying to understand the world and then you say, OK, I want to travel. I want to go to the UK or I want to go to Europe or wherever. Then you realize you need English. So you start studying English there. And sometimes it's OK and sometimes it's a bit difficult. I wanted to know a little bit more about, um, just about Escobar. Escobar is becoming quite important because, uh, so we have a lot of laboratories here. And as I said before, we have the river, which is always um, a great resource for a town to, you know, to move forward uh, in all the industrial side. And I know, I've read that... Um, one of the one uh, so this uh, coronavirus vaccine is going to be or is being produced here in Escobar, you know, for for South America. So one of our labor laboratories was chosen to produce the vaccine. So again, 
Um, yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? That's for that's with AstraZeneca, is that right? And the Oxford uh, uh, group. Yes, 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 exactly. It's very good claim to fame. Yeah. That is, yeah. I mean, you could save the whole world. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so we are a small town, but uh, you know, just uh, <laughs> working hard to <laughs> yeah to make our country. way through. Is there anything else you want to say, Cynthia, that you think we haven't talked um, about? Oh no, I I hope that um, I hope that uh, people will come and visit. Escobar and Argentina <laughs> because it's a very, it's a lovely country really not only Escobar yeah. Argentina it's it's not because it's my country but the real thing is that um uh it's a huge country in hmm. in every aspect you can think of and you have everything you want you have the beach the mountains the lakes the rivers the desert everything and um we are we we are uh, we are very I think we are very friendly and um, yes we we love people coming over and meeting our culture. Well, I can attest to that. I've never ever experienced a welcome like I experienced um, in Escobar. And I've never been to Argentina, but I'm sure that would be the case if and when. Yeah, I'm sure um, you'd be welcome, Dolly. I, I hope so. <laughs> yes, <you know>. Thank you so much to Cynthia for chatting to us and for opening our eyes to the real problems that the people of Argentina face on a daily basis. Now, you may remember in our last episode on Uruguay, we talked about the problems of drinking and sharing a drink called mate with friends during the pandemic. One of Cynthia's students, Martin, sent us an explanation of mate and just how important it is in Argentina. The mate is something that everyone here in Argentina drinks. It's a hot beverage similar to tea, but it has for us more meaning than uh, just a, a beverage. The mate is, is something that it's with us all, all the time. When you gather with friends, you build a, a mate and you start a, a round of mate around everyone, pass it one by one. And for example, when, when you're studying, you prepare a mate to, to be a companion all the night uh, studying. It is something that we we treat as a, as a friend. To build a mate, you start with a container that also is called a mate. Originally, it was built from a pumpkin or a, a piece of wood or, or something like that. I think today you can find a mate built on all the materials. So you take this container and you fill it with sherba mate. Everyone has his own recipe, let's call it that way. As extras, you will find mint, cedar, honey, sugar, orange peels, and a lot of other things. Everyone choose and prepare his own mate as they like. You add a, a, a bit of water, a hot water, and then you put the bombisha, that is something similar to a straw. It's usually built in metal, and it has a lot of tiny holes on the bottom. So um, you, be, you put the, the bombisha inside the herbs and then you fill the top of the mate or uh, as, as the level that you want. Something very important for us is that you don't have to move the bombisha. We see on, on films, for example, or someone that don't understand the mate, 
they start to to move the bombisha around the mate and moving everything and that's a, a it could be a, a, an insult to an Argentinian people. So now you know if you drink mate you don't have to move the bombisha. Something is, is very strange for a lot of people is that we drink a mate, when we end it, we refill it with hot water and we pass it to the next one. So this could be very invasive for someone outside our, our culture, but this means that if you receive a mate from someone or if someone offers you a mate, it means that he trusts you. Thank you to Martin for that. And now it is time for our regular feature of Culture Corner, where we dive into something more cultural related to the country that we've been discussing in the episode. So obviously this week it's Argentina. And I've chosen a film called Relatos Salvajes, or Wild Tales in English. Um, it's a film that I'd been wanting to see for ages. A lot of people had recommended it to me, and I've, I've had it on my um, to-watch list for a long time. Um, it was made back in 2014, and it's a black comedy made up of six short films. And it was a co-production between Argentina and Spain. And it was directed by a man called Damián Cifron. And the famous Spanish director, Pedro Almodovar, was a co-producer oh, of the film. Oh, what now? Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> so obviously you can tell that it's going to be amazing. And it was actually very, it was critically acclaimed. It was nominated and for lots of awards and won a few of them. And it really is, it's quite extraordinary, I must say. So I've, I've, I've only got through half of it. So I've got the, the other half to enjoy so I've watched four of the stories got two left um you can get it on Amazon Prime if you're wanting to to have a look at it yourself and it really is oh my god some of it is so dark really (laughs) wow really dark some of it's pretty gruesome each of the stories that I've seen so far have been quite different from each other on the levels of the levels of darkness and the levels of comedy obviously that's subjective so maybe ones that I thought were more funny other people would think were less funny but it's really it packs a punch like the opening story just like comes out of nowhere and just like it's it's very quick and just keeps you on your toes and has you laughing out loud at like really horrific situations (laughs) um and then it just goes on from there so definitely recommend okay great and I suppose the benefit (laughs) of it being split into six short stories is that you can sort of watch half of it and then come back yeah. to it without yeah exactly yeah and, then, and it's yeah. all set in Argentina um so you get some a lovely feel for the language um because as we've probably have mentioned in previous episodes the Argentinian accent is very different from other Spanish accents so it's nice to hear that um and see some of the cities and some of the landscapes so go watch it okay yeah I will definitely thanks for the recommendation Rose you're welcome. Okay, that's all we've got time for this episode of The Other America, but we hope you've learned something about Argentina today. Give us a follow on Twitter at America underscore other. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using and stay tuned very soon for an episode on Chile with a very special guest. But for now, from me and Rose, it's goodbye. Bye.